This is News Source 1 Michiana. Your balanced source of news for the community. Welcome to Michiana Speak Out with Keith Thews. An interactive podcast where we can talk to you or you can speak to us. The show begins right after the national news. News Nation This Hour, I'm Vic Vaughn. Investigators are looking into whether the driver of an SUV may have been fleeing from a crime when he plowed through Christmas parade goers in suburban Milwaukee. That's according to reporting by the AP, not yet confirmed. Officially, motive is unclear. Angelito Tenorio was marching in the parade. I remember the, the loud bang and then the cries and the screams and then people just running away with tears in their eyes, sobbing, parents calling the names, looking for their their children, looking for their loved ones, people leaving behind their belongings just to get away from the scene. Five people were killed, more than 40 injured Sunday in Waukesha. The jury in the coastal Georgia murder trial of three white men in the killing of Ahmaud Arbery heard closing arguments this morning. The prosecutor argued none of them had cause to make a citizen's arrest. They hadn't done this. They hadn't done this on homes. Would he be alive? Ask yourself that. If the answer is yes, felony murder. Check it off. Arguing Travis McMichael, his father Greg, and their neighbor William Roddy Bryan chased Arbery because they saw a black man running through their street. A defense lawyer argued Travis, the one who pulled the trigger, was following his Coast Guard and maritime law enforcement training. These teachings were burned within his brain to the point of muscle memory so that he could perform his duty and his responsibility to his country and his community. All three are charged with murder. The U.S. Supreme Court was unexpectedly quiet today on Texas's new abortion law. It did not issue an opinion. News Nation's Joe Khalil. It bans all abortions after about six weeks or whenever there's a heartbeat detected in a fetus. No exceptions for rape or incest. And the other reason it's getting a lot of attention is this unusual way that the law is enforced. It's not up to police to enforce this law. Instead, state of Texas offers reward money to any citizen in Texas who brings a lawsuit forward against those people that carry out abortions as well as against anyone who helps facilitate an abortion like someone who answers phones at a clinic u.s sales of previously occupied homes ticked higher last month at their strongest pace since january a 0.8 percent from october to september and while their sales are down 5.8 percent from a year ago the median home price jumped 13 percent during that year to now just over three hundred fifty three thousand dollars and good news first there's no shortage of whole turkeys in the u.s this thanksgiving but it could cost a little more the american farm bureau puts the average price of this year's feast for a gathering of 10 at 53 dollars 31 cents that's up 14 percent from last thanksgiving Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at newsnationnow.com and the News Nation Now app. I'm Vic Vaughn. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Kate Fisher. At least five people have died and 40 others have been injured in the U.S. state of Wisconsin after a car drove into a Christmas parade, mowing down children and adults. A person has been arrested. Police say the suspect may have been fleeing another crime scene. Caroline Malone is in Waukesha, where officials are still looking for a motive. It was supposed to be a day to celebrate with a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, but it's ended in tragedy. A red SUV drove through police lines and into a crowd of people on Sunday. Among them was a large dance troupe of children aged nine and above and a granny's dancing team. 
Waukesha Police Chief Dan Thompson said one person is in custody, but it's not yet clear what the motive for the incident is. Caroline Malone, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Closing arguments are underway in the murder trial of the three white men who chased and shot a 25-year-old black man in Georgia. Travis McMichael, his father Greg McMichael and their neighbour William Roddy Bryan have pleaded not guilty to the killing of Ahmed Arbery last year. The defence argues that Ahmed Arbery was killed in self-defence when he resisted a citizen's arrest. But prosecutor Linda Danikowski contends the defendants attacked an unarmed man, chasing him for five minutes in their pickup trucks before finally confronting him with firearms. But for their actions, but for their decisions, but for their choices, Ahmad Arbery would be alive. The February 2020 killing went without arrests for more than two months until a leaked video sparked protests and national demands for consequences. The trial has become, to many, a test of the justice system's value for black lives. New properties built in the UK will be required by law to install electric charging points for vehicles from next year. The plan, which Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced in a speech to the Confederation of British Industry, forms part of the government's strategy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from petrol and diesel cars and vans. Laura Makin issued reports. The push to install electric charging points at all new builds from next year appears to be the latest step in the UK government's plan to try to phase out petrol and diesel vehicles. To preempt that, new build properties as well as buildings undergoing major renovations will need to include vehicle charging availability in their plans from 2022. It's a move that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson says will introduce up to 145,000 new EV points at homes and offices each year and would, in theory, offer a huge boost to the current charging infrastructure. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks, looking today at the debate over the Elgin Marbles. They are back in the news again after the Greek Prime Minister appealed to British leader Boris Johnson to return them to Athens. The British government says it will now be up to the trustees of the British Museum to determine the fate of the sculpted marbles that were once part of the Parthenon Temple on the Acropolis. They've been in British custody since 1816, when Lord Elgin, ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, ordered their removal. Historian Dominic Selwood with the backstory. The story around the Elgin marbles is actually quite clear. Lord Elgin purchased them, as you mentioned, from the sublime port of the Ottoman Empire with a legal document, with a firman, and he rescued them because they were being destroyed. They were being used for target practice, ground down for lime, bits being chipped off and given to tourists. If, if Elgin hadn't bought them, and he bankrupted himself and his family for three generations in doing it, they simply wouldn't be there. And you can see much of that from the state of the ones that were, were left in Greece, were left up on the Acropolis and were damaged by the pollution from Eleusis. So I think taking the historical perspective is very important. We can decide whatever we want to do in the future, but let's not say that they were stolen because they, they weren't. Other artefacts in, in other museums were taken by force, um, but these, these ones weren't. The British Museum's position currently is that there is great public benefit to seeing the sculptures within the context of the institution's broader global collection. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Our main news again. At least five people have died and 40 others have been injured in the US state of Wisconsin after a car drove into a Christmas parade. Closing arguments are underway in the murder trial of the three white men who chased and shot a 25-year-old black man 
in the US state of Georgia, and new properties built in the UK will be required by law to install electric charging points for vehicles. That's the latest Feature Story news. Kate Fisher reporting. Good afternoon. It is Monday, November 22nd, 2021, and you are tuned in to Michigan Speak Out. It is a very beautiful, not much clouds in the sky afternoon, full of bright skies and happiness here in Elkhart, Indiana, albeit cold and extremely pretty blustery last night. But sadly, we are focused on another tragedy in America, and that is the senseless and yet mysterious hit and mall incident there in Wisconsin during a Christmas parade. A senseless and yet still, at the time of the podcast being recorded, this segment at 2 o'clock Eastern time, um, there's a press release going on at the time of my recording um, leaves a lot of questions. What was going on? So here's here's what we can tell you as of the time. We have a person of interest that is the suspect. He is a career criminal, according to Preston Phillips. Name is Daryl E. Brooks. Some have him at 38 or 39 years of age. Some have him older um, According to Preston Phillips, he posted a cash bond two days ago, um, and this was yesterday, so it have been Friday at $1,000. Um, he is a career felon, and uh, according to Agenda Free Television late last night when I was driving home, and uh, according to ABC, there's uncertainty whether he was being pursued or if he was fleeing a crime. And so... Either way, this gentleman with his red SUV plowed into the parade. Numerous videos, some of them are very horrific. And five people are dead currently, 40 are injured. And um, there was a group of youth dancers, and in front of them, the, the, the dancing grannies. And the, the dancing grannies, I posted a, a heartfelt message from them on uh at lunchtime today what they had on their facebook group uh, such a senseless tragedy we're glad to share the information that's what we do got the news from news nation last night right they have getting ready to leave from church and start finding all of the live videos and start sharing them and telling my friends and please right now just just say a prayer for the folks over there it has, from the media discussions I'm seeing on Facebook and shared, there is no connection to Kyle Rittenhouse whatsoever. So be aware of that. And hopefully we'll find out why Daryl Brooks did such a malicious hit and maul incident there in Wisconsin. So we're going to go on to uh, our messages. And when we come back, we'll go on to our regularly scheduled program of remembering the JFK assassination, this date in 1963. I heard the COVID-19 vaccine has... And the thing I heard about the vaccine... Sure, but do we really know about the long-term effects Did you read that thing on the internet about it? He heard from his cousin that they don't... Okay. 
you're hearing a lot of talk about the COVID-19 vaccines these days. So how do you find out if getting vaccinated is right for you? By talking to someone you already trust, your doctor or healthcare provider. They'll answer your questions so you can decide what's best for you and your family. Go to GetVaccineAnswers.org to find out more. That's GetVaccineAnswers.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Learn more at She Can Stem, a message brought to you by the Ad Council. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. That was the big announcement on the passing of President Kennedy by a very emotionally choked up Walter Cronkite of CBS News on this date, November 22nd, 1963, a date that is forever etched in older Americans' conscious minds, a day of the assassination of a president, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy, struck down in Dallas, Texas by an assassin's bullet by Lee Harvey Oswald from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository near in the area of Daly Plaza in front of a whole crowd and one filmmaker, Mr. Zapruder. How are you doing out there? This is our special look back at the media on this date of the Kennedy assassination in 1963. Yes, most Americans, when they see that, their, their minds will come back to where were they at, or if they're young, they'll ask their parents or their grandparents or a teacher, where were you at when that president got killed? What happened? Well, TV was new in those days, so to speak, and with the advent of communication satellites, the world was really becoming more and more touchable and visual in those days. And this is the first time that American presidential emergency, if you will, has had happened in the TV history. 
the last time that anything of the death of a president was 18 years before during the age of radio with the death of FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, toward the end of World War II in 1945, when Americans learned of the death that way and through newspapers. But this was the age of TV. And ABC, CBS, and NBC were right there to bring you all of the coverage that they could. A lot of folks trusted one man for their news, Walter Cronkite of CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. He was there, and he told it that was the way it is. One of the most trusted man in news broadcasting. So we're going to focus on CBS and what happened to two prominent CBS commentators on that whole horrific weekend, four days, Friday through the burial and funeral with the eternal flame on Monday, what all happened for Walter Cronkite and what happened for Dan Rather? Remember Dan Rather? CBS Evening News, the one who succeeded Cronkite back in 1981. Well, here are their remembrances, courtesy of YouTube. Well, it was, a, it was of course, an ex most extraordinary day, and the, and the remaining three days after that, four days until the funeral service uh, were 24-hour days for all of us. Uh, very uh, terribly sad, obviously, terribly emotional experience. And the first uh, couple of hours uh, uh, after the bulletin cleared on the United Press wires that shots had rung out in Dealey Plaza while the president's motorcade went through and then built to the fact he'd been wounded and then the Parkland Hospital scene, the fact he died. Uh, the first uh, 10 minutes or so, we were on radio, I mean, on, on audio only because we learned then for the first time we had to have a camera hot and ready to go at all times in our newsroom. I think that's still the policy today. But then we didn't have, and it takes a while to warm up a iconoscopic lens and a camera and uh, the tubes, and, uh, and we couldn't get on the air for about, uh, on television for about 10 minutes. But then we were on solid for four days. When the assassination came, and I've seen this thing repeated far too often nowadays, uh, the uh, uh, there was a moment when I had to announce that he was dead that I almost broke down uh, and uh, almost had a little trouble. I did have some trouble getting the words out. But we in the news and television news particularly, but all the news people, operate very much like emergency personnel, fire police, hospitals. Uh, our adrenaline flows faster. We've got a job to do. We're doing the job and we're concentrating on that rather than the emotional impact. Uh, we find out now that there's a psychological uh, trauma that uh, people who have to do that sort of job go through. And I think we go through it in, in news, too. And uh, not until you have to hit that punchline that he's dead uh, does it come to you, the full emotional uh, meaning of this thing. And that's what hit me at the time. Basically, uh, things had gone very well on the trip. 
there had been uh, really nothing out of the ordinary. The president had received a, a very good reception in Fort Worth. Uh, he came to Dallas. He had a very good reception at Love Field. The, the plan was it had been published in the newspaper what the motorcade route would be. He would take a parade route through downtown Dallas. And at a certain point, uh, which was a railroad overpass just past, just past what we now know to be the Texas School Book Depository, the motorcade was basically to end there. That is, the parade part of it would end there. The motorcade would pick up speed and go to the Trade Mart, Trade Mart uh, some distance from there, where President Kennedy was to make his central speech uh, in Dallas. And we had set up, at CBS, we'd set up along the parade route a few places where, because we were dealing with film, not videotape, where the people who were in the White House press corps contingent, photographer, uh, correspondent, White House correspondent, but the photographer who was on a truck bed sort of thing to film the motorcade, put people at pre-designated places where he could drop the film in a yellow shipping bag, has CBS news on the side of it. They're all grapefruit bags. We still use them. And, you know, quickly, the grapefruit bag, the person at the designated spot, throw the grapefruit bag off to that person, and designated that person could run it back to KRLD, where I was, and we would begin assembling the piece for that day's broadcast. I was not to do the piece. The, the White House correspondent would probably do the piece. But we had set up uh, these drop points the film along the way. And everything was uh, you know, going really well And from the beginning. We did not have a drop point at the where the overpass was. The president's motorcade was to take a left in front of the school book depository, go down a little bit underneath the railroad underpass. And things were going very well. And quite frankly, I kind of wanted to see what was going on. And I said, well, I'll, I'll go to that overpass. Well, we hadn't pre-designated it as a place for a drop. The motorcade was going to be slow right there. They still, you know, I thought, well, if they have any film at that point, you know, I can kind of wave the cameraman. I leave here at and go uh, to just beyond the overpass, which is where that'd be the last slow point the motorcade was going. And um, I was was there. Uh, I didn't I didn't hear any shots. I didn't know that anything had gone wrong. Uh, it was a fairly big crowd over in front of the school book depository, but there were very, very few people where I was beyond the tunnel, uh, underpass, it really wasn't a tunnel. Uh, but I thought that the, I thought I saw the president's limousine really speed past going lickety-split, but it happened so quickly I wasn't even sure it was his limousine. I kind of said, well, was that the president's limousine? And, but I wasn't sure, and I was, it, it was confused, but what I remember thinking is the rest of the motorcade is not coming, which indeed it didn't, it stopped. It was the camera car and the pool car and other things I do would be in the motorcade didn't come through the, the overpass. This all happened very, very quickly. And I also thought, I wasn't certain, but I thought that the, the president's limousine, if that's what it was, I'm saying, if it was a president's limousine, I can't, was it? And then I thought it went in a 
in a direction that I wasn't sure was the direction of the trademark. I thought, well, that's not a good thing. So all this happened very quickly. So I, you know, went running backward to see, well, what I thought, well, for some reason the motorcade's been held up. And, you know, beyond that overpass was uh, chaos. Huge, you know, people on the ground screaming, pointing, fathers covering their children. Uh, you know, it was very clear, again, you know, seconds, I'm tempted to say nanoseconds, something was wrong. I had no idea what it was. Uh, but clearly something was wrong. And the only thing I thought is, boy, whatever's happened here, I better get back to KRLD. I mean, which is not far away. It was a little distance, but not far away. And so I bolted. I just took, sort of took one look and said, well, something, something not good has happened here. And so, boom, I was going to KRLD. And by the time I got to KRLD, uh, that there was some rather confusing traffic on, you know, they had uh, police radios, sheriff's radios, the usual newsroom contention and things. But that uh, the Merriman Smith of uh, United Press had filed pretty quickly a short bulletin from Dallas. I can't quote it directly, but journalism schools could study it because he basically said that the president's been shot, wounded, may uh, seriously or fatally anyway. By that time, it was obvious that somebody had shot at the president, but I still wasn't certain that the president, had, not certain that the president had been hit, much less that he'd been fatally hit. But you guys are picking this up off the UPI wire. At That's that right. Point. The time I got the newsroom, I don't remember specifically, that it wasn't long about UPI thing coming, but the, the time I got back to the, to the newsroom, it was pretty clear, and I think it was based on the Merriman Smith thing. I can't be positive of that, but that uh, the president had been shot at. But whether one thing, the shots had fired, but whether he had actually been hit, uh, much less been fatally hit, fatally hit. Uh, Merriman Smith suggested it in either his first boat or the second, but uh, it was it was obvious he'd been shot at. The rest of it was nobody knew. Now, well, things really happened, uh, you know, one thing tumbled behind the other very, very quickly. You know, first it's, the president's been shot at, if you pardon that syntax. Um, yeah, shot at and hit. Are we sure he's been hit? Yes, he was hit. Holy smoke, where is he? He's taken to Parkland Hospital. All of this, you know, is tumbled, flowed in very quickly. And, oh, Everybody was uh, trying to make telephone calls, listen to the police radio, turn up the police radios and the sheriff's radios. They didn't have much in the beginning, to tell you the truth, because they were confused about what was happening, and with good reason. Uh, that you know, we were trying to find out what was going on. And uh, Eddie Barker at the trademark, I did not speak to him. I don't remember speaking to him. I do remember speaking to him today, but that he was at the trademark where they were waiting for the president to come make his speech. And Eddie, uh, so it was related to me in New York, said, Eddie Barker um, has heard that the, the president may be dead, and he thinks his source is pretty good. Uh, and that we were trying to confirm where the president was, what condition he was in. We got through to the hospital. Eventually, we're told at the hospital, incredibly so, by people who were in a state of shock, if you will,
uh, not only that the president wounded, but that he was dead. I'm on the phone with New York, holding for radio and television, trying at the same time to make phone calls, you know, great confusion about things. But there came a point well before 1 o'clock, uh, I was on the phone with radio. Here's what we had. Barker, the trademark, said he had heard somebody that, well, we didn't have it confirmed because if we had, Eddie would have had it on his own radio station and we'd have had it everywhere. But Walter Cronkite had passed that along. Eddie Barker heard, you know, it's a, that uh, I had talked to the hospital, talked to a doctor, talked to a priest, talked to another priest, that we had, that's what we had. We had, People at the trademark, who I, I know now who it was, but I, and Eddie knows who it was, I think he's spoken to it, but it was not just a passerby. Somebody connected and connected high with the hospital. It passed along to him. He thought the president was dead. We talked to people at the hospital and said the president was dead. I said, doctor, priest. So I'd covered the police beat in Houston for a long time. And I said to myself, if I'm working the police beat in Houston, what we got here is a dead man. This is the President of the United States. So in talking to radio uh, in New York, I think it was the late Mark Bank, uh, I was going through this. And I said, you know, I think what we have here is a dead man. I think the President is dead. And uh, he said, well, you know, what do you got? And I ticked off what we had. He turned to somebody, I can't remember who it was, I think it may have been Dallas Townsend, who was a well-known CBS radio correspondent by that time. And uh, the next thing I know, Townsend, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was Dallas Townsend, they were announcing that the president was dead and they played the Star Spangled Banner. This is on the radio. This is on the radio. Yeah. The situation in New York, as I understand it, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, that while radio and television were close by, that they were not cheek by jowl. And uh, the radio editor made a decision on the spot. It turned out to be the right decision, that given what we had, uh, that they announced the president was dead and played the Star Spangled Banner. By the time it got to television, I gather, in fact, I don't gather, I know that there was some second thoughts about it. Well, yes, we may know he's dead, but we better wait for the official announcement. I didn't make that decision, uh, that others made it. I think it was a combination of uh, I'm not sure, Elizer, Ernie Elizer I mentioned earlier was there. But at any rate, the decision was, well, we don't doubt it, was my understanding, uh, but we're not gonna announce it until there's an official announcement. And what, I don't know, 18, 20 minutes later, sometime just after one o'clock central time, check me on those times, uh, that the official announcement was made. But I didn't have any doubt in my mind the president was dead. You know, at the time, I was thinking, well, we, nobody said we were going to play the Star Spangled Banner and, and announce it. But I had told them what we had and told them, uh, in, in uncertain times, I'm not putting it off on anybody else, that they had asked me and I told them. I told them what we had and I told them that uh, he was dead. The death of the president did not just shock America to its core 
and saddened America to its core, it also shocked the entire world. People sent out emissaries and, and, and dignitaries to the funeral and sent their regards and, and just were shocked. Even the head of the Soviet Union, Premier Khrushchev, was in shock. Here are some of the audio bites from November 23rd, 1963, from the British Broadcasting Corporation. o'clock. This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news read by Brian Martin. Among those who are going to Washington for President Kennedy's funeral are the Duke of Edinburgh, Sir Alec Douglas Hume and Mr. Wilson. Family mourners and members of the United States government have been filing past the body now lying in state in the White House. Mr. Khrushchev has said the assassination is a heavy blow to peace lovers everywhere. After the news, there'll be a program of tribute to the late president. Aldous Huxley has died in California, aged 69. Heads of state and national leaders from all over the world will be flying to Washington during the weekend for the funeral service for President Kennedy on Monday. Britain will be represented by the Duke of Edinburgh, Sir Alec Douglas Hume and Mr. Harold Wilson. They will leave London Airport together tomorrow afternoon. The Duke will return to London immediately after the service, but the Prime Minister, who will be accompanied by his wife, will stay on in Washington until Tuesday or Wednesday. Mr. Khrushchev is sending his first Deputy Prime Minister, Mr. Mikko Jan. President de Gaulle and the new West German Chancellor, Dr. Erhardt, will be there, and so will King Baudouin of the Belgians, Queen Frederica of Greece, President de Valera of the Irish Republic, who's over 80, and the Canadian Prime Minister, Mr. Lester Pearson. Throughout the day, under gloomy skies and pouring rain, a procession has been filing into the White House where the body of Mr. Kennedy now rests. Among the family mourners was Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy with her two young children, Caroline and John, clutching at her skirt. President Johnson led members of Mr. Kennedy's cabinet and other mourners included the former President Eisenhower, members of both houses of Congress and Supreme Court judges. The coffin draped with the American flag lies in the white and gold East Room of the White House. It is on the catafalque used after President Lincoln's assassination in 1865. At each corner is a lighted candle and behind each candle stands a member of a guard of honour drawn from the three services and the Marine Corps. Tomorrow, Mr Kennedy's body will be taken to the Congressional Building on Capitol Hill, where it will lie in state under the dome. There, the public will be allowed to file past and pay their last respects. On Monday, it will be taken to St Matthew's Cathedral for the funeral. It's expected that the body will be buried in the family vault in Boston. President Johnson, in his first official act, has declared Monday a day of national mourning and invited the people of the world to observe it.
The police at Dallas in Texas say that 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald, who has been charged with the murder of Mr. Kennedy and a policeman, is maintaining his innocence. But they said he had freely admitted being a member of the Communist Party. In Washington, the Defense Department revealed that Oswald, who is a former Marine, wrote in 1961 to Mr. Connolly, the governor of Texas, who was wounded when Mr. Kennedy was assassinated. At the time, Mr. Connolly was Secretary of the Navy. Oswald was protesting against what he called a dishonorable discharge from the Marines. The protest was rejected by a Marine Review Board after Mr. Connolly had left the Navy's Navy Secretary's post. Moscow Radio has broadcast a report from the New York correspondents of the Russian news agency TASS accusing the American police of trying to implicate the Communist Party in Mr. Kennedy's death. The State Department in Washington said they had no evidence indicating that Russia, Cuba or any foreign power was involved. A man who worked with Oswald in the warehouse in Dallas, the building from which the shots were fired, has been questioned by the police. They said he was on the list of subversive people because of his left-wing connections. Our correspondent in Dallas says it has not been suggested that he was involved in the murder. The Prime Minister was among more than 3,000 people who attended a requiem mass in Westminster Cathedral this morning. Tomorrow morning at half past ten, he's going to a service in Westminster Abbey. Tributes to Mr Kennedy were paid during today's services in many British synagogues. Both Houses of Parliament will meet on Monday afternoon to pay their respects and will adjourn shortly afterwards. Mr Butler will speak in the Commons on behalf of the government and Mr Macmillan hopes to be well enough to be there. The Queen has ordered court mourning for a week. Crowds at this afternoon's football league matches observed a minute's silence. One of the warmest tributes to Mr Kennedy has come from Mr Khrushchev. In a message to President Johnson, he speaks of the assassination as a heavy blow to all who want peace and says the Russian people are indignant at this foul murder at a time when international tension has been easing. And to Mrs. Kennedy he has said he will always remember his meetings with her husband. Mrs. Khrushchev has also sent a message of sympathy to Mrs. Kennedy. Mr. Khrushchev and Mr. Gromyko called on the American ambassador this morning to tell him of their sorrow. Soviet newspapers praise the President's work for peace and our Moscow correspondent says ordinary Russians have shown genuine grief and concern. In a special programme this afternoon, Russian television showed Mr Kennedy's coffin being carried into the White House, the first pictures to be relayed direct from America to Russia by space satellite. And that was the news on the international front one day after the assassination of the president, John Kennedy, November 22nd, 1963. On our iRadio station, we have sound bites on the news of the death of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy as it was being broadcast back then at the midday hour. And as the end of the day progressed, one man summed it all up in a four minute and 20 second soundbite, Paul Harvey, who we like to bring you his old past stories of the rest of the story. Well, here is the recording that he made on that terrible Friday in 1963. 
Well, I thank you for being part of our remembrance of this terrible American tragedy. We hope that none of you will forget this and will learn something and will be educated by our audio stories. The rest of Michigan Speak Out follows Paul Harvey. Good evening, Americans. We are just never ready for this kind of thing in this country. We deplore the hotheads elsewhere in the world who change governments with guns, but we try to ignore the fact that now four of our own presidents have been cut down by assassins. It had been such a tremendous welcome at the Dallas airport and all along the parade route that Mrs. Kennedy, who had become perhaps his greatest political asset, turned to her husband and said, you can't say Dallas wasn't friendly to you. Moments later, in the back seat of that open car, she cradled her husband's bleeding head in her arms, saying, oh no, oh no. Top speed, it was still five minutes to Parkland Hospital. Mrs. Kennedy did not collapse, no hysteria. When she entered the hospital, her chic fuchsia suit was covered with her husband's blood. President Kennedy, within 30 minutes, was dead from a bullet in his brain. There was another wound in the president's neck, which could have been from the same bullet. Mrs. Kennedy's wish was to return to Washington immediately to be with the children. The bullets, by now you know, came from a warehouse window. On the fifth floor, police found the remains of some fried chicken and some paper. The assassin had waited there for some time. And a Mauser rifle with a scope sight. Three cartridges fired, one still in the chamber. Dallas policemen advised that a suspect had entered a theater in the Riverside section, chased him there. There was a shootout. One policeman was killed. The suspect was captured, Lee H. Oswald, at 24. They dragged him from the theater, screaming. Evidence is piling up against him. He was employed in the building where the murder weapon was found. Lee H. Oswald traveled in Russia in 1959, married a Russian woman, renounced his American citizenship, tried to apply for Russian citizenship. That significant, significant killed by extreme right-wing elements. Now it develops the assassin's allegiance was red. He wore a brown shirt, uniform of a Castro-Communist terrorist, and he, Lee Oswald, is chairman of the pro-Castro outfit called the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Governor Connolly, with a bullet through his back that came out his chest, fractured his wrist, underwent surgery. He is conscious, condition good. Vice President Johnson, who was riding in a separate car a considerable distance behind Kennedy's, was unhurt. Lyndon Johnson is now president of the United States. Within less than two hours of the president's death aboard the presidential plane in Dallas, Johnson took the oath of office sworn in by a woman judge and then took off with the widow and the body for Washington. When the first news came today, before it was even confirmed that the president had been killed, a flood of cell orders hit the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. They rang the bell, closed down for the day, but before they could, industrials had plummeted $21. And the commodity exchanges closed down and Congress recessed and sporting events most everywhere scheduled for tonight are canceled. Pope Paul, advised, went to his private chapel to pray. General Douglas MacArthur, in a telegram to Mrs. Kennedy tonight, said, quote, I realize the utter futility of words at such a time, but as a former comrade in arms, his death kills something within me. President's special car has a bulletproof bubble glass top, but the top was down today so that he could wave to the enthusiastic crowds. The Dallas reception was the most enthusiastic of any stop in Texas. For weeks, a big debate raged over who of the city's luminaries would get to sit at the head table this noon. Nobody did. 
On the President's White House desk tonight are the calls and the callers and the documents and the urgent things to be done which could not possibly await his attention for another day. But they will wait now. It is for us that one must grieve tonight. For a generation which has so refined its intellect that it can split atoms and communicate with the moon and yet remains at the mercy of its own undisciplined emotions. If the world is one day destroyed, it'll come just like this, you know. It'll not be the H-bomb that did it. It'll be the greed or the fear or the hate that set it off. Paul Harvey, good night. ABC Chicago. It's probably a little bit like you. There was a lot of talk about the COVID-19 vaccines. I didn't know what to believe. And I tell you, everyone has an opinion. Some of my friends got vaccinated and some were against it. But I knew this was an important decision, so I went to somebody I already trusted, my doctor. It's your call, so talk to your doctor or healthcare provider and make the decision that's right for you. You can go to GetVaccineAnswers.org for the latest information. That's GetVaccineAnswers.org, brought to you by the Ad Council. Greetings. I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Thanksgiving is fast approaching. It's time to be thankful. And who better to turn to for reasons to be thankful than to our Lord Jesus? This week we'll consider reasons for thankfulness in the earthly life of Jesus. And we find one in Luke 10, where some joyful disciples return to Jesus reporting that they have authority over demons. And Jesus says, Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And it's at this very moment Jesus turns to his Father and gives thanks in Luke 10, 21 and 22. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What a remarkable scene we're privileged to glimpse into here as we listen in on this prayer of thanks from the Eternal Son to the Eternal Father. And what is the Son thanking His Father for? That mystery has been revealed to little children Little children are being privileged in ways the great minds and thinkers of the world are not. And what is the mystery? Well, friends, Pastor Joel may not be able to help you here. What do you mean, Joel? Jesus ended this prayer, friend, by saying no one can know unless the Son reveals. So I'll ask you, friend, do you have eyes to see the mystery? Perhaps you're asking, well, Joel, how would I know? Well, there's a pretty simple test. I've talked to folks about how Jesus came into the world to save us from sin and shame. And sometimes in love, I will begin to gently press them to turn and believe the gospel. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had folks say to me, Pastor Joel, I'm good. I talk to God. Pastor Joel, I pray to God all the time. And sorrow fills my heart because this indicates their eyes have not been opened to the mystery. What do you mean, Joel? My friend, it is all the difference in the world if you address God as God or if you address Him as Father, your Heavenly Father. Do you speak to God generically or do you call out to Him familiarly as your Father? 
it is an indicator as to whether you have received the benediction of our Lord Jesus in verse 23, where Jesus turns and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Jesus says to these disciples that they have seen what all those saints throughout Old Testament history only dreamed of. These disciples' eyes have been opened not merely to see the Son in the flesh come to save them. Jesus is saying that he has revealed them to them, his Father, and not just them. You see, this gospel was written to the one who loves God, to give certainty about all that Jesus had taught. Christians now living in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection, can be thankful with their Lord Jesus to know the mystery that Old Testament saints never knew. My friend, that God is our Father. Are you thankful for that, my friend? J.I. Packer writes, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. If you understand this, friend, be thankful that you're not numbered among the smarty pants and wise guys of our day. Rejoice that you are a little child and you will be forever because your name has been enrolled in heaven by our Father. Now, if you're thinking, Joel, I don't know God as my Father. What should I do? It's very simple, my friend. The Father actually spoke earlier to a dear soul still blind to the greater spiritual reality. The father spoke from a cloud and said, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. If you want to know the father, you'll have to listen to the son he sent. Many long to hear what you hear. Will you listen and obey Jesus? If you do, you'll not only get Jesus as your Lord and brother, but you'll get God as your father. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who I worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council.
This is News Source 1 Michiana. Elkhart South Bend.